Welcome to The Firing Line with Philip Naiman. The Firing Line radio show is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside, the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, Vortex, the Force of Optics, and by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. Sitting in for Philip Naiman this week is Rick Travis, the Executive Director of the California Rifle and Pistol Association. And now, from the offices of the California Rifle and Pistol Association using Skype, here's Rick Travis. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Welcome to this wonderful radio show on Saturday. Firing Line Radio is normally with Phil Neyman, your wonderful host, but filling in from today is myself, Rick Travis, from the California Rifle and Pistol Association. And along with me today, I have our special guest, Mr. Chuck Michelle, lawyer extraordinaire for the Second Amendment from Michelle and Associates. He's also the president of the California Rifle Pistol Association. And today we want to discuss with you what it means to be a Second Amendment advocate. Chuck, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. So, Chuck, both of us have been around the, the 2A fight here in the state for quite a long time, and we've had this discussion many times, but I think there's a misconception not only within the public, but within the Second Amendment community, that being a gun owner equals being a gun advocate. And the idea that a lot of people have is similar to, oh, if you're an American, you can play Major League Baseball, which we know isn't true. There's just a very few people that ever make it up in the major leagues to do that. I think it's much easier for someone to become a gun advocate. But I think there's a lot of people out there in the community that just think because they own a gun and it's in their you know, nightstand or closet, wherever, maybe even hanging on a wall, even though they should be in a safe, they think, well, that makes me a gun advocate. Can you explain what you think a gun advocate is? Well, there are there are different levels of participation in, in, in a campaign for for any any right, including Second Amendment rights. Uh, just being a gun owner to a certain degree uh, can can be considered activism in the sense that when you tell people that you own a gun, especially if you let them know that you're proud to be owning a gun, or if you hang that firearm on the wall, uh, you know, you're making a statement, but it's not a very loud one, frankly, that, that gun ownership is okay. But we need every gun owner to be a proud gun owner, even if they don't take the next step and turn into an activist or an advocate or an influencer, because, uh, they're try- the, the, the gun ban lobby is trying to make people ashamed of being a gun owner. They're trying to put all those gun owners in a clo- all of all gun owners in a closet. Uh, that's part of their effort to shut down ranges, gun stores, you know, places where you can go to actually participate in in the shooting sports or in uh, in a you know gun shows, for example, for a political statement. But uh, just being a gun owner uh, is a start, but that does not make you an activist or an advocate. Yeah, you brought up a good point that we've talked about, and I think it's great for the listeners to understand. This whole idea of shaming we've seen in social media and obviously in the mass media lately, but this is something that's been going on for at least a decade from the anti-gun groups towards those of us that own firearms. And you know, what I want to explore a little bit in this segment is why people shouldn't be ashamed. I mean, I, I hear too many people when I go out on speaker like, well, I just don't want to say anything. We were just up in Northern California. We had people 
that would not stand up and say anything against you know people from Mothers Against Guns, but they would meet us in the hall or the lobby or in the bathroom of all places and go, hey, I really support you. And I'm always thinking, then why didn't you say something in the other room? Why is it you think that gun owners are so easily shamed? Well, uh, this is a, a different conversation, but but uh, it's because it's the new tactic of the left. Uh, they don't want as as the whole social media uh, influence, the ability of social media to influence public opinion has changed, and the rise of influencers on public on uh, social media, like the Kardashians, for example. Unfortunately, most influencers are really more. Uh, entertainment type people than scholarly type people. That's not completely true across the board, but the ones with the biggest followings tend to be entertaining and they can make a statement which causes everyone to, who doesn't really think through what they're saying and suffer some, uh, for the wrong reason, give some entertainment influencer uh, credit for being intellectually, uh, uh, you know, uh, informed. Uh, they can, they will, they will, they will go along with it. It's it's, it's sort of sheepish, uh, uh, in a sense. But but uh, folks need to just remember: there's two things you can do to advance any cause. Uh, one is spend your time, and the other is spend your money. If you don't have the, the time, uh, or, or both. Uh, and so, what influencers do, what activists do, is spend their time uh, or money uh, to try and advance the cause they believe in through the campaign. And, and as I said, the, there's, you know, between Bloomberg and Soros and, and their public relations folks, they have put a lot of time and energy into figuring out how to try and do this campaign. And that's what this is. It's like a political campaign only for a message or a cause uh, to shame gun owners and make non-gun owners think that gun owners should be ashamed. That's probably the biggest component of that. You know, you brought up Soros and Bloomberg, and I think this is very effective <clears throat> for people to understand the millions of dollars, the thousands of people that they have trained, like in Carlsbad last uh, summer, to fight against your Second Amendment rights in the state. And then you look at the strength of, you know, the California Rifle Pistol Association, Gun Owners of California the National Rifle Association, other 2A groups up and down the state from the local club level on up to the, the level of those organizations has not had nearly the numbers of people or financing behind them. And yet there are countless um, pieces of legislation that have been stopped before it even got started. And there's been pieces stopped throughout the past decade. I think a lot of people don't understand. It's literally been a David versus Goliath fight and David has actually done a pretty good job, despite some of the losses that we'll talk about later. Oh, yeah, particularly considering how Bloomberg and, and the other billionaire elitists uh, spend the money on the PR firm to, fash, to, to generate the content, the false narrative. Uh, and this isn't just gun control. This is you'll see this. You see this in the political on every political issue. There's a there's a, a bought and paid for talking points. We ran up against this with the gun show battles. I mean, uh -huh. they, they make these statements as if they're, they're uh, you know, uh, 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 scientists have studied it and indisputably concluded that gun shows are bad. I mean, it's complete baloney. Uh, but unless you get people critic thinking critically and actually questioning the legitimacy of some of these statements, again, this is where 
some unsophisticated folks fall for influencers and an influencer can portray themselves as if they have credibility and and it becomes hard if that credibility if that message from an influencer is repeated as if they do have credibility by the mainstream media or other outlets that that are perceived to have credibility so it that's what makes the message so hard to fight and frankly even folks on our side of the issue are, are taking advantage of this, unfortunately. It's easy to uh, monetize uh, influencing. And so you see these slick social media campaigns for some groups to fundraise when really what uh, it's not about a cause that they're trying to raise funds to support. It's about a fundraising effort that they're trying to use a campaign or a cause to justify. It's kind right. of the cart before the horse. So... <clears throat> One of the things that I want to look at, too, today is kind of the process of how something bad happens. And I think for a lot of people, uh, what we call the Duncan v. Becerra case, dealing with the magazine issue of a standard capacity magazine versus the California miniaturized version of that, uh, you know, looking back, that didn't happen overnight. That had been something that had been attempted a couple of times in bills that we were able to work with, you know, the National Rifle Association, Gunners of California, and other groups to stop, and then eventually got pushed through on Prop 63. And one of the things I want to do before we get into where the legal cases went in the next segment is talk about the fact that many, many gun owners did not get up and stand up and go to those people that were voting for them before it became so lopsided to stop it because they didn't see it as a threat. And that I see as one of the biggest issues is apathy amongst our own community of, well, that had never happened. And then when it does, it's how did that happen? And my argument's always, it happened because you didn't stand in the gap when you could have. Right. You know, it's important for people, if they want to be an advocate or an activist or an influencer, to recognize that there's a, different, a big difference between being reactive and being proactive. But when we can't get 8 million gun owners to be reactive to some of the threats that they've faced, uh, and, that, and that's been our problem. Don't, don't mistake a lack of success or a lack of effort by the NRA and the CRPA over the last 20 years. I mean, we've had lobbyists in Sacramento uh, going back forever. We've been advancing the, and, and promoting the shooting sports uh, since, you know, 1875. Uh, but but when, the, when, when, when more people just have a gun in their in their closet or their bedside table or whatever for self-defense and they're not involved in the shooting sports or they don't hunt uh, and they kind of take the, the gun in their, the, the, they take the self-defense gun for, for granted, then they, they are less inclined because they're less threatened uh, to get involved uh, proactively. Yeah, I think that's very, very true. Let's come back and explore um, in the next segment. We'll talk a little bit more about how the magazine issue developed in Prop 63 and what we've been doing about that. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside and the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range. Sitting in for Philip Naiman this week is Rick Travis, the executive director of the California Rifle and Pistol Association. And now, from the offices of the California Rifle and Pistol Association using Skype, here's Rick Travis. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick! According to the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. A reminder that Veterans Day is Monday, November 11th, when we honor all those men and women who have served our country in the uniform of all branches of the armed forces 
and fought to preserve that right along with all the others we've been given as Americans. Take time to honor a veteran this November 11th. Bullseye Sport proudly salutes all who served as well as those who have laid down their lives for our freedom. God bless their families. God bless America. Exercise your rights as Americans. If you're not armed for protection or recreation, the Bullseye Sport in Riverside is where you need to go for handguns, rifles, shotguns, ammos, accessories, and much more. Bullseye Sport in Riverside is on Facebook, Instagram, and at bullseyesport.com. That's Bullseye Guns and Ammo on Brockton between Arlington and Central and Riverside, 951-823-0211. That's 951-823-0211. Bullseye Sport, where the Inland Empire gets its guns and ammo, 951-823-0211. Chuck, I'd like to welcome you back to Fine Line Radio, filling in for Phil Neyman today is myself, Rick Travis, from the California Rifle Pistol Association. And we're discussing how, when we don't react proactively to stopping Sacramento and those up there from coming down with draconian laws against our Second Amendment rights, where that heads. And so if we go back to uh, 2016, we had a competition inside the Capitol between uh, Brown and at that time, Senator Kevin DeLeon on one side and the Lieutenant Governor, now our Governor, Gavin Newsom on the other side, which was known as the Prop 63 versus Gunmageddon fight. And out of that came a limitation on magazine size. And I wanna first set the record, there is no such thing as a high capacity magazine. There are two things. What is called a standard capacity magazine, which is what is issued with the firearm across the country in all 50 states. And then there's the California miniaturized version of that magazine. And uh, Chuck, you and your, your brilliant lawyers have been fighting this in what has become known as Duncan v. Becerra. And so I kind of want to talk about that because I think a lot of the listeners don't understand that once we get a bad piece of legislation, we're left with a lawsuit. And I think a lot of them have the experience of a small claims court where, you know, usually within 90 days, the whole issue is resolved one way or the other. And none of these are 90-day processes. No, the lawsuits can take, can take years and often do take years, depending on how many facts are disputed uh, 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 that, that form the basis for the underlying lawsuit. Uh, the, 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 the magazine uh, capacity uh, bills are a good example, by the way, of of a politician taking advantage of an issue and using an issue to advance his political career. That's what Newsom did, and that's what governors before him have done too, or governor uh, uh, candidates have done before him. They'll find an issue, they'll run an initiative that gets them name recognition, and they then they use all their uh, campaign resources to push the issue, always with their name associated with it so that they become an influencer and they be, and but they can raise money off of it. Uh, but in the case of the magazine bills laws uh, that, that, that were passed, uh, either voted in or signed by the legislature uh, because of uh, De Leon, uh, once those were passed, it, 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 the only real option we have, and this should be the last resort, uh, but unfortunately it's becoming the, the best resort for a lot of situations in California, because we didn't stop these things, people didn't get engaged enough early on to stop some of these things. Uh, if the law is the going is going to court, and that's what we did in the Duncan case, you first have to recruit your plaintiffs. They have to have legal standing. 
uh, which means they have to be affected by the law, and that's something that really can get wrapped around the procedural axle in court. You can spend months or more just litigating whether or not the plaintiffs that filed the lawsuit uh, have standing to bring the lawsuit in the first place. So once you get through some of those procedural uh, uh, hurdles, uh, you'll get into fact-finding, <clears throat> discovery. And in the magazine case, there wasn't a whole lot of fact-finding, except that the state tries to to claim that uh, that that magazines that hold over 10 rounds are more disproportionately used in crime, or if you limit gun owners to only being able to use magazines that hold 10 rounds or less, uh, then that will it's basically that that will somehow save lives because uh, larger capacity magazines are the criminal's choice. And uh, if you have a smaller magazine, then the criminal has to reload and that gives people the chance to get away. These are the, the justifications that the state tries to come up with, uh, basically public safety justifications to justify any gun control law. And thankfully, in the case of the Duncan uh, lawsuit, the judge was not, did, was not willing to just accept that from the state. He actually held them to the burden that a government should be held to, to prove that the, 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 the uh, claims that they're making about why a law is going to increase public safety. And so it's worth, in the eyes of the government, some sacrifice by gun owners uh, uh, in the name of a, a broader public safety. He didn't just take their word for it. He, he looked at what they had submitted as evidence to prove the fact of the of the claims that they were making and and the the, the baloney that was that their claims was based on was really uh, quite obvious. You know, they were relying on a Mother Jones magazine article to claim that that uh, there was some kind of choice by criminals to use magazines that that are of a higher capacity or that somehow using lower capacity would save lives. So that's the start. The trial court, the fact finding, the legal procedural standing issues. That's where you start. Uh, now, you can move for an injunction, either a temporary or a permanent injunction early on, but ultimately what you're getting towards is a judgment in that trial court, and then the judgment can be appealed. So let's take this case. We had, back the last end of March, first part of April, a little thing called Freedom Week here in California. and. A lot of people obviously got involved in that, and we'll talk about that, but there are a lot of people have come on since then and went, okay, so what was that? Was that a win? Was it a loss? So let's talk about Freedom Week and the injunction that came in from the amazing judge there in San Diego, Judge Benitez. Yeah, so we, we filed that lawsuit first, and uh, short, very shortly thereafter filed a motion for a preliminary injunction. A preliminary injunction is, as its name suggests, preliminary. It's not a permanent injunction. You can, when you file a lawsuit, you can go for money damages or what's called equitable remedies, like injunctive relief, or both. Uh, and in this case, we wanted an injunction. We wanted a court order that says this law is unenforceable and uh, police are not, uh, uh, you know, are enjoined, uh, forbidden by the court from enforcing it. And that's what we ultimately uh, uh, got. We got a permanent injunction uh, uh, that is now on appeal. But the preliminary injunction banned both the, or I should say enjoined, both the 
ban on possession of magazines that hold over 10 rounds, because recall, that law was originally passed uh, years ago, decade ago, uh, to ban to only grandfather in those who had had magazines that hold over 10 rounds at the time of its initial passage. So there were a lot of people out there with magazines that hold over 10 rounds, but they they were they had had them for a long, long time because they were grandfathered in from the first law. Well, we challenged both. We challenged that old law that banned the possession and the new law, excuse me, the old law that banned the uh, 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 possession by anyone other than those grandfathered in. Uh, it was going to, to ban it. Excuse me, I'm getting wrapped around the axle myself here. The, the first law uh, we challenged was the, the ban on new people, new people other than those grandfathered in acquiring these magazines. Uh, so... Uh, and and the Prop 63 provision that banned uh, possession or acquisition of the magazines in the state of California by anyone, including those people who had been grandfathered in. So the, the court initially uh, said that the importation, the initial importation law that had grandfathered everybody in was, it was unconstitutional as a Second Amendment violation, and so issued a preliminary injunction against that. And when he did that, what he basically did was legalize the importation and purchase of these magazines uh, by issuing that injunction, uh, which is what opened the door for Freedom Week. Because during that that week that the injunction, the preliminary injunction was in place, uh, uh, a million or so uh, of these magazines came into the state. Right. So then we had to move and turn towards the permanent injunction, which is a bit more, which we can talk about on the other side of the break. Sounds good. We'll see you back on the other side of the break here on Firing Line Radio. Have questions about handgun safety, local sports shooting events, or your Second Amendment rights? Just ask Vince at Bullseye Sport in Riverside. Get practical advice. No sales pitch. Vince is a straight shooter when it comes to sharing his advice and years of gun experience. Whether you're a seasoned gun owner or a newcomer, at Bullseye Sport, they welcome everyone, especially ladies considering a firearm for the first time. When they go to our store, we want to give them something that they're going to feel comfortable with. And if you're looking to purchase a gun, ammo, or accessories... If we don't have it, we will get it for you. For all the answers to your rifle and handgun questions, just ask Vince at Bullseye Sport. 951-823-0211. Bullseye Sport in Riverside. Proud sponsor of the Firing Line Gun Show, Saturdays at 1 p.m. on AM 590. Follow Bullseye Sport on Facebook for your inventory updates or call 951-823-0211. AM 590. The answer. This portion of the Firing Line is brought to you by CCW Safe by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. Sitting in for Philip Naiman this week is Rick Travis, the Executive Director of the California Rifle and Pistol Association. And now, from the offices of the California Rifle and Pistol Association using Skype, here's Rick Travis. Spartans, lay down your weapons! Welcome back to Firing Line Radio. Filling in for Phil Naiman this week is Rick Travis from the California Rifle Pistol Association. And with us today is Chuck Michelle, president of the California Rifle and Pistol Association and attorney extraordinaire from Michelle and Associates. And we're discussing what has been going on with the magazine issue from the banning in Prop 63 in Gun McGinnon through the Duncan v. Becerra through Freedom Week. Chuck, let's continue. 
Sure. So let me just try and tie off what I was saying a minute ago about the the, the, the process of getting these injunctions in the in the Duncan case. So the preliminary injunction that we got first was to 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 strike down both the ban on possessing these magazines, magazines that get all over 10 rounds, and the ban on importation or sales. Those are two different laws passed at two different times. The preliminary injunction that was first issued struck down both so that anyone could possess them and anyone could buy them. That resulted in a million people running out and buying them, and they now possess them. By the end of that week, though, the Department of Justice was asking the judge to, to basically maintain the status quo. They said, let's just let the people who have, a, who have acquired these magazines either dur- during Freedom Week or because they were grandfathered in uh, uh, years ago, let them keep their magazines. It's not illegal to possess those, but let's not let any more come into the country right now, uh, into the state right now. Uh, otherwise, we'll have to ask the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals to strike down your, in- your preliminary injunction. So the permanent injunction that came out of this process was uh, uh, to allow people to possess, to continue to possess any magazines that they had gotten during Freedom Week or any magazines that they had had from years ago. Uh, So that's what the state then appealed, and that's what's in the Ninth Circuit right now, uh, uh, challenging uh, the, the permanent injunction. Uh, and the and the preliminary the portion of the injunction the preliminary injunction that is stayed that is not in effect, uh, which is the the allow, uh, allowing people to buy these magazines and, and importers to import them. So uh, you can still possess these magazines if you got them during Freedom Week, and you can possess them if you had them uh, from years ago and, and were grandfathered in, but you can't buy any new ones right now. So we're fighting to get that permanent injunction applied. Uh, to both provisions of that so that you can buy and acquire and sell and have and possess magazines that hold over 10 rounds, the standard capacity magazines that come with these guns. Because they are, as as we pointed out in our papers to the court, uh, very, very valuable self-defense uh, uh, tools that go along with your right to keep and bear arms. The, there are many instances where people need more than 10 rounds to defend themselves or their families. Uh, so that that's that's now up on appeal. The facts having been decided, uh, of course, they will look at that, but they they don't take new evidence on appeal. The record that you that you prepare in the trial court is what goes up on appeal and is then reconsidered by the appellate panel. And then you've got after the three judge panel, you've got a potential on what's called an on banc review by eleven uh, uh, Ninth Circuit judges who can overrule the three-judge panel, and then, but you don't have to do that. And then another optional uh, level of review is with the United States Supreme Court, which is what, for the last uh, 10 years, since 2008 or, or so, folks have been trying to get another, including the NRA and the CRPA, have been working very hard to get another case to the U.S. Supreme Court to set the standard of review that's going to apply, be applied in Second Amendment cases. And that's where I pointed out Judge Benitez did not take the government's word for things. But unfortunately, some judges have and some courts have. They give a lot of deference to the government, even when it's just, you know, in my view, just kind of making stuff up or buying into that false narrative that, that the Bloomberg groups have put out, the fake science uh, and, and junk science and that kind of stuff that they use to try and justify these laws. If you look at that carefully, 
and 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 don't take the legislature's word for it. Most gun control laws uh, are going to be struck down as unconstitutional infringements on the Second Amendment. And we yeah, hope that's what the Supreme Court will say. They have a case pending right now that's going to be argued on December 2nd. I'm glad you bring that up because, Chuck, you know, along with both of those cases that the CRPA is very, very involved, along with the NRA, Guns Owners of California and other groups, is the idea that we're also in, you know, Rody v. Becerra, which deals with the ammo laws. And one of the things in the uh, documents that I just saw come across my desk this last week was I think it's important people understand that despite the rhetoric of, you know, the anti-militant left that's against those of us that are, you know, law-abiding citizens just trying to exercise our rights to protect ourselves or feed our families or, you know, shoot in a competitive sport, is the concept that DOJ doesn't have a clue of what it's doing and that the state is not your friend. I mean, I remember former, you know, president and governor of the state, Ronald Reagan, saying the scariest things you could ever hear was a knock at the door and the government saying, hi, I'm here from the government. I'm here to help. You know, that that was the most frightening thing. And looking at this, you know, um, talking with Sean Brady, one of the attorneys that works with you, we realized that, you know, and I was trying to remember where I had notes from it, but I think it was, um, yeah, 12% of the people who had valid certificates of eligibility. And so listeners understand that is an additional background check that you pay to go through with DOJ, you have to update it annually. I have one, I know what that process is like. It's not the easiest thing, it's rather draconian. But even after that, that is supposed to allow you to work in a gun store, to be around guns and ammunition, to sell them, to do everything. That 12% of those people I had valid series were rejected for ammo purchases. And I wanna highlight that to people, that this is the kind of thing you and your law offices do every single day of the year, year in and year out, on behalf of them, is fight against this kind of stuff because DOJ doesn't have a clue what it's doing because its left hand says, oh, John Smith, here's your COE, your certificate of eligibility, you're a good guy. And then when they go down to the local Big Five Bass Pro to buy their ammo, oh, we don't know if we can trust you, you can't have ammo. Right, it's, this, is, this is bureaucratic ineptitude which is inherent, in my view, in basically all government systems, but becomes uh, grossly magnified when you pile on responsibility to an administrative or executive agency like the Firearms uh, Bureau at the Department of Justice. Uh, and and they, 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 first of all, they have to manage the databases that they're comparing to try and figure out if someone is, is prohibited or not. And then they have to, I mean, they have to do all the, the cross-referencing. It takes so much time. First of all, the databases are completely screwed up. There's like a 40% error rate in the database of, of who owns what firearms in the state of California, which is uh, not surprising. There's a slightly lower error rate in the criminal records that the state maintains on people, but, but that's riddled with errors. And then so to try and combine... Uh, a person's ID when they walk into a store uh, to buy ammunition with the criminal records database and their registered firearms database or create a new registration to be able to buy ammunition. That, 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 that technical exercise is something that the state just can't do pretty much at all. It certainly can't do it well uh, because the, the 
you start with junk. I mean, it's junk in, junk out. You have databases that are that are completely riddled with errors. You're not going to be able to cross-reference one error-prone database with another and then match it up with a person's driver's license and, and clear that person to purchase ammunition, even if they themselves got that certificate of eligibility, which checks their records uh, their criminal records on a, on a going forward, you know, on, on a continual basis, uh, they just can't put it all together. So the infringement on the Second Amendment right to acquire ammunition to use in your firearm is just profound because they can't get this right. And it's a huge burden on people who are trying to exercise their Second Amendment rights. And so now the government should be forced to justify somehow say that the the cost of that burden, the infringement on that Second Amendment, uh, is outweighed by or uh, 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 by the by the interest in public safety, the benefits that will come from these background checks. That's the test that the court is applying now. In my view, uh, it, it, there may be a very simple, uh, a lot simpler and a lot clearer uh, standard of view coming from the sec- from the Supreme Court. Well, they'll simply say we've never had essentially ammunition background check laws in the past. It's not something that our founding fathers would have tolerated, so it's unconstitutional. But for now, we're working with a system where you you sort of balance the interests uh, of uh, the state and public safety versus the individual Second Amendment right to buy ammunition. And in this case, when you have 20 or 30 percent of the people being rejected over and over and over again, that is a tremendous burden on the Second Amendment, and, and there's, they're just not saving any lives with this system. I agree with you, and we're going to come back to the show in a couple of seconds and talk about what happened the last time the government came to do an ammo and firearms background check without permission of the people. We'll be right back with Firing Line Radio. Hi, folks. Philip Naiman from Firing Line Radio Show. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated $1 million for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at ccwsafe.com. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Vortex Optics. Vortex, the force of optics. Sitting in for Philip Naiman this week is Rick Travis, the executive director of the California Rifle and Pistol Association. And now, from the offices of the California Rifle and Pistol Association using Skype, here's Rick Travis. Bonham, what is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and they hear the lamentation of the women. That is good. Welcome back to Fine Line Radio. Filling in this week for Phil Naiman is Rick Travis with the CRPA, the California Rifle Pistol Association. And along with me today is the president of the California Rifle Pistol Association and attorney extraordinary for Michelle and Associates, Mr. Chuck Michelle. We've been talking about the process to, on today's show of how 
you know, draconian laws could apply to us where all of you could be standing in the gap before that happens, but what the results and the length of time and what that process looks like. And Chuck, one of the things you said before the ending of the segment was, you know, how the government is, is coming for things. And I think it's important, especially with Veterans Day coming up on Monday, that our listeners remember that it wasn't, you know, taxation, which is what the, the left has tried to say. It wasn't, you know, the, the Boston massacre or the Boston Tea Party or any of the other things that happened in Boston. It was when those of us who were all British colonists at the time, there was no America yet, had their government decide to come to Lexington and Concord, not to check out the beer licenses, not to collect taxes, but to seize ammunition and firearms. And that's what started what we now call the American Revolution. That was the trigger point. And I'm not advocating for people to take up arms against the government. That's, that's not my position. But I think it's important that we, we fast forward from that early birth of our country and what led to the Second Amendment being part of the Constitution to a comment that we made during the break, uh, probably the most honest democratic politician that we've had in this lead up to the presidential primaries has been, you know, Beto O'Rourke, who actually told the truth and said, hey, the grand plan of the government is to knock at your door and seize your firearms. I mean, he actually came out and said what we've been saying for years on our side, this is what they want to do. And he actually came out and said that. And because he said that, you and I have been working together with the, the rest of our, our amazing volunteers and staff here at the California Rifle Pistol Association to try to help give people a place to come learn, to find out, to learn the talking points, to learn how to stand for the rights. And those are called California Rifle Pistol Association chapters. Let's talk about that movement that we've got started, Chuck. Uh, sure. I mean, the, the, the gun ban lobby is terrified of having their true agenda revealed, and that's what Beta O'Rourke did when he said, hell yes, we're going to come get your AR and your AK. Uh, because it won't ever stop, even if they did that, uh, which I think people have now, you know, people are woke. They talk about being woke on the progressive points. Now the gun owners, I think, have been uh, uh, woke by O'Rourke revealing the, the gun ban lobby's true agenda, which is to seize your firearms ultimately. They've got particular firearms right now that they will classify as especially bad and evil and worthy of being confiscated. But when that doesn't work, and the assault weapon ban, you can go through the so-called assault weapon bans in California. There's been three or four versions over the years, none of which worked. And every time they don't work, you know, when they go to pass them, we say that's not going to work. People just use a different firearm, and they say, "Oh yeah, this will this will work. This will make us safer." That's always the appeal. That's how they scare people. And then it doesn't work, and they say, "Yeah, the reason it didn't work is it didn't go far enough. It has to go further. We've got to ban more. We've got to ban more. We've got to ban more." Every time, that's the simple answer, and the simple sort of sinister justification for an ever increasingly broad ban on the types of firearms that the government decides you're allowed to possess and the type of people that the government decides they're allowed to possess them and the places where the government says you can have them. Uh, so they want to limit, you know, in their view, they want to limit, uh, they, they say that the Heller decision just means you can have one gun in your home. You can't take it outside your house. And that's all the Second Amendment protects. Well, we think it goes a lot further than that. Uh, but, but, 
O'Rourke did us a favor by by making that statement because I think a lot of people uh, now realize that all this baloney about no, we're not. We, we respect the Second Amendment. That that Democratic talking point or progressive talking point is baloney. Yeah, and I think it's important to know that here in California, you know, we have a lot of people in our community are like, well, I'll just move somewhere else and go somewhere else. And I want to take a moment here to explain to you a few waking points that you need to know. If you're not woke, this should make you woke. Number one, it's not just about AK-47s, AR-15s, M4s. What Sacramento is trying to come out and right out of the blocks in 2020 is a complete ban on all semi-automatic firearms. And a lot of you have bought into the idea that the only thing that's a semi-automatic is the AK-47, is those things. That's not that's that's so far from the truth. It's just like when you know Governor Newsom came up with Prop 63. It's safety for all. It wasn't safety for all. It removed your ability to keep your family safe. It was actually the opposite. It removed people's ability to learn and to know how they could defend themselves because none of us can keep a law enforcement officer in our back pocket. And the fact is, there's not enough cops on the street to defend you or protect you. And so as a result, I mean, they do an excellent job, especially considering the resources that they've been deprived of. You know, the the men, women in blue and tan and green and every other color that's used in law enforcement are incredible people. But the fact is, safety for all was not what it was purported to be. And when we talk about banning semi-automatic firearms, what we're actually talking about is those of you that have a Glock or anything else, a Beretta, you know, any kind of a pistol that has a slide on it, that's a semi-automatic. Those would be gone. You're talking all the youth programs that use 22 caliber rifles that are semi-automatic. Those are gone and everything in between. We are talking literally eliminating 90% of the catalog of firearms. That's what they're going at. If that's not a seizure of confiscation plan that, you know, stamps that Beto just talked about the first two or three firearms, but California is looking to do it. And why I say this is going elsewhere, you can go to Boise, Idaho, that 10 years ago was like a safe haven. Boise is now turning blue. You have the same thing happening in Texas and Austin. You have the same thing happening up in Wyoming, Montana, other places. What is happening is the groups we've talked about sourcing them are pouring a lot of money into those states and fighting back. I mean, thankfully, Maine just fought back pretty hard against almost a dozen pieces of emergency legislation when there's been no emergency. And this is why we need people to stand and fight. And one of the ways to do that is through a chapter meeting like we held out there at Bass Pro in San Bernardino and at Rahaga's. Um, sports range out there in Riverside. And I want to talk about why we came up with this, Chuck, in these last few minutes. Sure. Uh, you mean the chap- CRPA chapters? Correct. Well, because all, well, because all politics is local. That, that's an old maxim. Uh, right. And the best way to get involved is, is locally. Uh, and, and that means, you know, we want to be involved in every, every political race that there is, right down to dog catcher. Uh, even if they claim to be um, apolitical or nonpartisan races, they typically that that's just those are stepping stones to a higher office, uh, unfortunately, typically. And so we need that farm team. And you also need to just that's part of the gun owner pride, the the, the proactive uh, activist and advocate involvement, getting on social media, getting your message out there, uh, having meetings, 
together and, and legitimizing each other's perspectives, having those conversations. These are like little miniature political meetings every, every chapter meeting uh, where people can uh, uh, get to know each other and support each other's ideology and learn from each other. And so, and then go out to influence their local politicians and their state uh, level politicians uh, uh, through their activism uh, or, or, or financial donations or both. Uh, so you think the government is lazy, the government, uh, and, and, but also subtly sinister. They will, they will do they, the, the, it's not the camel's nose under the tent. The incrementalism is, a, is by design. They will start by banning certain firearms. When that doesn't work, they will ban more firearms. They, they will ban the acquisition. They may grandfather some people in so that it's not outright confiscation initially. This was the strategy they used with magazines. First, they said, well, if you have one, you can keep it. Uh, then years later, they said, well, those, those magazines that we let you keep before, we want them now. You've got to surrender those now. That's how it goes. A step by step, they get worse and worse and more and more draconian. Uh, and that's that's all part of the of the plan, frankly, that uh, that Beto O'Rourke sort of gave a shined a little bit of a light on. Uh, but so the best way to stop that is get involved with people who are like minded and, uh, you know, have a beer with them and some pizza and talk about the issues and see if you've got some ideas on what you can do uh, to, to push back. Yeah, I think it's really important that people realize this isn't just on the ownership of firearms. The government is coming after everything, folks. They're coming after your rights to hunt by banning the animals that one by one that you want to hunt. They're coming after the ammunition. They're coming after youth programs. This is an all-out war. And for more information, I, I plead with you, go to www.crpa.org, www.crpa.org. And remember... Be safe, shoot straight, and fight back for your rights. Shoot, Felipe! Shoot! When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. The Firing Line Radio Show has been brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside, the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, Vortex, the Force of Optics and by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. AM 590, the answer.